Lord, we declare that you are Lord of all. You are in control. You never asked us to be in control. That is your job. You're really good at it. You're in control, God. And so we surrender our hearts, leaning into you, asking you to come and walk with us and in even, um, even, so that we may even realize that even more so that you are walking with us. We thank you, God, that you hear. We thank you, God, that you respond to us when we come to you and you extend yourself to us so much more than we extend to you. We just thank you for that, Lord. You are so good. You give good gifts. You are a good father who loves his children so deeply. Lord, we just rest in that knowledge right now that we are loved so deeply by a wonderful Father. Thank you, God, for loving us. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, team, so much. Thank you. Well, we have an amazing opportunity to have Doug share with us this morning. so wonderful. I can't wait. Doug, please come. Share what God's put on your heart. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'm, I'm not going to waste any time this morning. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 39. And uh, I just want to say a few words. Just uh, when Kim was sharing, things were bubbling up in my heart. And, uh, you know, as, as one of the teachers, I don't know if I'd classify, classify myself as a prof, but I, I want you to know why we're here. We are here because we get paid an awful lot of money. That's why we are here. That is not truth. The, the reason why we're here, the reason why we're here is because we believe in you, students. We believe in this generation. We believe that you're going to make a difference. You know, I am so encouraged every time that I open up my Instagram or, you know, some of you I follow or, or I see pictures about Omegas and Omegas going out. And, and I, I just don't do this part-time. I'm also a pastor part-time at Christian Life Assembly and in, in, in something called Recovery Church. And we have Team A that comes every Sunday night. And I'm so proud of them. And I'm so proud of you students because you're making a difference. You're going to make a difference in this nation. You're going to make a difference around the world. You know, we had a speaker here uh, on a Monday and he was talking about the, basically the plight of the, of the church. And he said that right now in the POC across Canada, that 75% of our churches are plateaued or declining. I really felt like he should have ended that by saying, and, not but, don't use but, that's a bad word to use for various reasons, it's not a good word, because it disqualifies the things that it said. Yes, the POC is 74, 75% declined or plateaued, and it's going to change because of you. I believe that. I believe that totally on my heart. Every class that you take, every theological concept that you grasp, every ministry that you're part of, it's training you to make a difference in this nation, in churches that are struggling and and almost maybe dead. Please, students, listen to me. Don't go to the APAs. Don't think about the Broadways. Just don't think about the CLAs. Go to the Dawson Creeks and the northern places and the small places where there's no work being done and make a difference in someone's life. Please do that. And that's why we're here. 
want to encourage you. I'm so encouraged by you. I'm so encouraged by you students. Every time I hear you or see you or what you're doing, and also we also know this, it's crunch time, isn't it? Wilf has some papers that are due, doesn't he? And so does Dr. Coates. I think we can do this. We can be students who have good relationships, who are still doing ministry, and we can get those papers in on time. It doesn't start when you're in ministry. It starts now. I can be a good father. I can be an excellent husband, and I can pastor a church well at the same time. Cut out the fluff, please. Cut out the stuff right now in your life that is just like squeezing those places of your life that is just causing stress and anxiety. And don't take it out on our papers, please. Get our papers in. And Will said, thank you, brother. (laughs) Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this opportunity in the time of history to be young people and students who grasped the call on our lives that it's greater that you are here with us, that your spirit directs us and gives us strength to do what we need to do, what is the task in front of us. Now, Father, as we look at your Psalms, may you speak to our hearts this morning. And we do pray what David prayed in the Psalms. Show us wondrous things from your law, O God. We pray this in your name. Everyone said again. Amen. So if you have Psalm 39, we're going to look at that in a few minutes. But I was just thinking, uh, as, as someone who I was raised in the church, anybody, uh, you were born in the pew, you've been raised in the church, you've always been, that's good. You know, if you don't come from that kind of environment or you haven't been raised in the church, good for you. You don't have to be re-educated on how to love Jesus because there's some things that we learn in church that are just kind of weird at times. Uh, when I was, uh, I'm, I'm an older dude. So when I was in church, I was b- raised in the church. I, I've always been in church. But when I was in church, we didn't have something modern called kids ministry or youth ministry. We actually actually sat with my parents every service. And I actually have a picture of what uh, I looked like when I was five years old. That's me at five. Isn't that cute? Isn't he a cutie? He's a cutie. And I'll tell you this, that kid never got into trouble in church. This is actually a picture of an average Sunday morning going to Leduc Pentecostal Church with my family. This is how my parents dressed me. Now, I got, I got spanked as a kid, but that is more abusive than getting spanked. Can you see what I am dressed in? You might not see the colors, but I am wearing this purple turtleneck with this like medallion kind of thing that, that is a zipper on it. Look at my sisters. Now, I'm adopted. That's why I'm not blonde like them. And I always said, they're adopted. I'm the one that was not adopted. But I, I, I actually got in a lot of trouble in church because we had to sit through every, every service. We had to sit there and we had to be quiet. And I grew up in a church, and I would like to call it this, a shush environment. I grew up in church, and I think what happened in my heart and soul is I equated my church environment with the way that I view God. I grew up in a shh environment. It, 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 I don't think there was a Sunday that went by that I felt my mom grabbed me by the back of my arm. You know that little, some of you, it's pretty muscular, but for me, it's a pretty flabby little place. But I, rem- I remember um, it probably a Sunday didn't go by where my mom grabbed that little part of my arm and said, we're going downstairs to the woman's washroom. 
And I tell you what going downstairs to the women's washroom was. I was going to get a, a little bit of a come to Jesus talking and maybe a little bit of a, a spanking. Now, I've, I was never abused. I'm fine. I'm healthy. Uh, we didn't have these modern-day things called a timeout or an iPhone in church. And so I, 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 I grew up in this environment called the shush environment. And I think that carried on in my heart, in my life, to teen years, because actually, to tell the truth, I, I wasn't really part of the church. I didn't want to be part of the church. I didn't want to go to church. I went Sunday mornings with my family. I, I did that because I had enough respect for my mom and dad. But I think I, I started to reject this idea that we had to be a certain type, and we had to look the part um, to, to be, and I think in my, my young mind, is to be accepted by God. Let me tell you this morning, students, God is not a shush God. He's not a good God that just wants to silence you. He wants your heart. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear your mind. He wants to hear the motives of of what is going on inside of your spirit. Walter Brueggemann, if if you buy any books, buy buy Walter's stuff. This guy is the boss of the Old Testament Psalms and Proverbs. And so Walter Brueggemann, when he looks at the Psalms, and we know what the Psalms are, Psalms are are songs, they're, they're prayers that were written down. Walter Brueggemann would say that there are three types of psalms that you will find uh, out of the 170 that we, that we have. He said there would be a, a psalms of orientation, there would be psalms of disorientation, and then there would be psalms of new orientation or reorientation. And they actually kind of apply to our lives, wouldn't they? I mean, every psalm kind of will apply to where we are at in our life because there are times where we feel very oriented. And what I mean by that is this. The sun is out. Can you believe? What's the date today? Is it the 20th of November? Why would you want to live in Ontario? Come on. Did you say that this morning, Kim? I'm so proud of you. When we feel oriented, the sun is out and God is good all the time and all the time God is good and, and our relationships are good and we, we easily say those cliche things that we love to say in Christianity and, and we, we sense God's spirit and he's with us. But then sometimes there are moments in our lives where we feel very disoriented. There are moments in our life that as you grow and as you walk as a believer, there will be moments where you feel extremely disoriented in life. Maybe there is a a loss of a relationship, or maybe there is a diagnosis of health, or maybe it is, um, maybe it's an addiction issue that you have in your life. Every Sunday night, I'm part of an amazing group of people, about 250 people who are working through addiction called Recovery Church. And these people know what it's like to be disoriented in their life. And God is is bringing them into a reorientation. And what I love about this Psalms is it's not just big things. It's small things can disorient us as well. Maybe it's an email from a friend that's not encouraging, or maybe it's, maybe it's a paper that you failed at. I don't, I don't know what it is, but there are moments that we feel very disoriented. Am I speaking to, are you catching, are, do you understand what I'm trying to say here? And so what I love about the Psalms is that the Psalms actually do something about that disorientation in our, in our lives. And it's not, it's not the norm. It's actually something beautiful. And what the Psalms do is that the Psalms allow us to take our ache, that ache in our life, that disorientation. They allow us to take the ache of life. They allow us to take our anxiety. They allow us to take our pain and actually bring them to God. I want you to catch this if you're taking notes. The Psalms allow us to speak what you feel 
not what you ought to say is the right thing. Now, I'm not contradicting anybody that spoke here. Andrew, a few weeks ago, talked about, you know, it's not... It's not the feelings that dictate and make who we are. It's the truth that make who we are. That's so true. But I'm telling you this. I know this as a fact. When Andrew and Nelia walked through their disorientation of Gracie, let me tell you what they stopped at. They stopped and they told God what they felt, not what they ought to say. And what these psalms are is that we call these psalms psalms of lament. And I want to pause. I want to talk about lament because in Pentecostal circles, we, we don't pause enough to talk about these things that I believe are crucial to your health and to my health and the health of the church. What is lament? That is lament. It's actually going to God, not Facebook or Instagram. Going to God and saying, God, this is how I feel. And it's amazing what happens is that when we go to God, like David goes to God in the Psalms, there's something supernatural that happens that there will be a new orientation, a reorientation that will happen in your soul when you are actually honest to God. Don't go to Instagram first. Don't go to Facebook first. Don't go to Twitter first. And if you have that as an issue of your life, please have a friend that will text you and just say, stop it. Because you're not helping yourself. You're not healing. You're not changing. And Pentecostals, it's Pentecostal people, and I, 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 I love being Pentecostal. I have no issue with the term Pentecostal. In fact, I would like Christian Life Assembly to maybe to be renamed Christian Life Pentecostal Church Assembly. I, I, I wouldn't mind that. I have no embarrassment about charismatic things or being Pentecostal because I'm not no charismatic. I want women to be in ministry. In fact, any of you ladies in here, maybe one day you will be my senior pastor. That's, that's what my Bible says you, it can happen. I'd love that. So I'm Pentecostal. But as Pentecostals, we, we have this idea that we need to be always in the victory. We always need to get to that place where we have a testimony. Listen, if you want to get to the place of testimony, you have to stay long enough in the place of lament where you are actually honest with God how you feel and not what you ought to say. It's a reorientating work of the soul. Because you know what? North Americans suck at this. We suck at it. It's not 170 psalms. There's 150 psalms. I don't know what was in my mind was happening there. It's been a long couple of weeks, I guess. You know, if you look at the 150 psalms that are here, uh, about 70% of the psalms have an aspect of lament to them. 70. I did a little bit of a research, and I looked at the top 150 worship songs, current worship songs, and I think I found three out of the 150 that have an element of lament. Why? We suck at it. But I think it's affected us as a church. It's affected you as a disciple of Jesus Christ not to stay long enough at a place where you can actually be honest with God. God is not a shush God. God wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear what's on your, what's really going on inside of you. In, in fact, Psalm 51 says that he desires truth in the innermost part. It's aletheia. He desires for you to be free, to be open to him. Somehow, idea, maybe we get this idea that, that it's wrong or it's sin to actually be honest with God. No, it's not. It's freeing and it's healing. Psalm 39, let's, let's look at this. It's a, it's a psalm that opens up the door to honest speech with God. And there's many other psalms that, if you just remember this, 22, 44, 88, these psalms of lament that are, need to be looked at and prayed and addressed even in your own soul. You know, we rarely know why David lamented. We, we, sometimes we really don't know. 
And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe it was, maybe David felt lament because we know that David was about 16 and 17. Some of the Old Testament profs in here, you can correct me later by email. We know that David was probably about 16 or 17 when, when Samuel anointed him king, but we know that he became king probably around 30. How am I doing? Is that right, profs, maybe? Okay, I, I'm going to get an email. Um, probably about 30. So if you think about it, when David was anointed king, and when he actually became king, was about 13 years of waiting. Wouldn't, wouldn't you feel, God, where are you? What are you doing? You, I, I know that there's a promise for me, but I'm waiting, waiting. I think that would be a time for lament. Or maybe it was when David was being chased by his son Absalom, and maybe he's in hiding, and he cries out to God, God, where are you? I don't feel you right now. What are you doing in my life? I don't get it. Let's, let's unpack Psalm 39. I'll do that as quickly and briefly as I can. This is what the psalmist said, and I think uh, the first impulse here is we see is for silence. Starting at verse 1 of Psalm 39, I'm reading from the ESV. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. He's probably saying, well, my pastor told me that I have to be careful about my words, and God's holy, and he, you know, it has to be shaped. Maybe that's what he was thinking. As long as the wicked are in my presence. Well, my pastor said, too, that I need to be careful what I talk about God around people who are you know, not of faith, so I need to really be um, quiet. This is what he says, verse 2. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. He was silent to God and in his prayers. And what happens? Does it get better? No, we see that it actually gets worse. Verse 3. My heart became hot within me. Think about Are you? I think when I read this Old Testament, I, I, I picture it. I, I, I use my sixth sense, my imagination. My heart My heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. What is the psalmist doing? He's saying, I'm going to test you, God. I'm going to actually speak here and see how you respond. And then he just does this very easy language to God. Oh, Lord, make me known to my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. He stops. God, are you going to kill me? Is there going to be thunder? Is there going to be lightning? I'm starting to speak honest with you. What are you going to do? Okay, I'm still breathing. I'm still vertical. I'm going to keep speaking to you, God. He gets a little bit bolder. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. I thought my hope was in you. Deliver me from my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. For it is you who've done it. Now he's being really honest with God. God, my situation is because of you. You've done it. You're the one to blame. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth which is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. This is not a unique psalm. 22, 44, 88 are other psalms of lament. And it's not even really theologically correct all the time when when we see the psalmist speaking to God. Now, I'm... Pentecostal. I'm fully charismatic. I have no issues with that. I am not a Calvinist. I believe in a free will of men and demons and angels. And I don't believe that God is always to blame. 
Sometimes we blame God. Sometimes people say, well, why is there abuse and why is there war and why is there difficulty? I don't always blame God for that. My view of God is Jesus and Jesus is my view of God. And I never see in the New Testament Jesus going to give someone cancer or health or diabetes or MS or anything. And if Jesus doesn't do it, then God doesn't do it either. Romans 8.28 says, in all things, God together, God works together for the good. It's not all things, it's in all things. In the moment there's cancer and sickness and trouble and worry, God comes into that moment and he's going to help you. I don't blame God for everything. God's not always to blame. God's not always to blame. So what, what, do, we do, with, what do we do with these psalms of lament? There's three options that we can choose. Oh, yeah, it's, that's big enough. Thank you. Can we, thanks, Brent. Brent never, thank you, Brent. Can we thank the team back there? Awesome. There's three things that we can do uh, in our life, in our heart, when we feel like God has abandoned us or we don't feel he's there or we feel stressed or worried. Here's, here's the first thing that we can do. We can bottle up, bottle it up, and what's going to happen is that you will self-destruct. You'll self-destruct. I believe this. Addiction and harm and abuse is really rooted in the accumulated suffering of your heart. That you are not getting it out. You're not speaking. You're not getting help enough. And if we try to keep it within, let me tell you, students, if you try to keep in your frustration and your doubt or your worry or your hurt, it's going to come out. It's going to come out to the dog. Maybe hopefully not the dog, maybe more the cat. That would be a little bit better. Maybe it's going to, oh, there's dog people in here. Wonderful. It's going to come out to the dog. It's going to come out to the roommate. It's going to come out through you to the spouse or the friend. Due to our inability, I believe this, to stop and very first thing that we need to do with our frustration, fear, anxiety, pain, and suffering is we need to give it to God straight away. Here's what else we can do with the pain. The second thing is that we can piously deny the pain and we can just maintain the status quo. Just maintain the status quo. I can't stand cliche Christianity. I don't think it helps our world. I don't think it's a witness. I get it when people say God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But I know this as being a pastor for almost 30 years. It doesn't always feel like God is good. How can you say that? Because that's what we feel at times. It's not what we ought to say. It's actually what we feel. And you might come into a place, and Kim said it in a prophetic way. Maybe you come into this place, and you see the songs, and you're supposed to worship, but you don't even feel it in your bones. You don't even want to worship. You don't even want to be here. Because of the things that you're walking through, and the things that you're feeling, and you just you don't want to play church, and you, you don't want to be fake. Listen, uh, Summit, SPC, when we numb our honesty... To God, we actually become numb in life. We become numb in life. You know, sometimes, again, people have this idea that it's unspiritual to, to speak honestly to God. That is just nonsense. I actually thought that David was a psychopath at one point of time. That sometimes in the Psalms, you see him or the author of the Psalms saying, take my name out of the book of life and what are you doing, God? And the next page, it's like, oh, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I'm like, what in the world? What is going on with this guy? He's reading my mail, because that's how I feel sometimes. But I understand what it is. God allowed the authors to speak what they feel, not what they ought to say. And so sometimes we can have this 
piously deny our pain and maintain the status quo. You know, being, being a pastor for, for almost 30 years, it's such a joy. It's such, I love it. I love the grind of people, and I love it that I can still be part-time as a pastor. But I, I hear people who walk through pain in their life, whether they have, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or, or the, a job loss or walking through addiction, and they start to get emotional, and they start to say things like, I don't understand what God's doing, and then they apologize. Oh, but sorry, sorry, Pastor, sorry. You know what I do whenever they say that? I say, why are you being sorry? God loves your honesty. He's going to come into that honesty, and he's going to bring health and healing and victory. Because honesty is like a fulcrum. The children of the Old Testament how long, O oh Lord, are we going to be in slavery? How long, O oh Lord? What are you doing, God? What did God did? What, what did God do? He brought them out of slavery. It's like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Take this cup from me, God. What was Jesus doing? He was lamenting. Why do we have to do this? And what did the cross do for you and I? It brings victory in our lives. It's like we just need to be honest. Listen, healthy spirituality is always honest about what you're experiencing. What you're experiencing. You know, I, I grew up in a, my dad was a morticianist. I know it's weird, right? Really weird. My dad was a funeral home director. And when I was here at Summit a long time ago, when I'd go home for Christmas or, you know, the weekends, I'd get there and my dad would be like, hey, do you want to come down to the funeral home and give me a hand? It's like, yeah, that sounds great, dad. Love it. I was thinking about funerals when it comes to this cry of lament. And in North America, uh, we, we, we're different at funerals. We wear black, which is beautiful. Black is a wonderful color. We wear black, we're somber, we're quiet. And then sometimes we're on Fox News or CNN or CBC, and we see these funerals happening around the world in different cultures. And they're wailing and they're crying and they're throwing themselves on the casket and they're, they're flaying, flailing around. And I've often thought sometimes... You know, that's kind of weird and extreme. But isn't that what we really want to do? When we lose someone or there's a loss in our, in our life, we don't want to walk in a church and we're so quiet. We actually want to walk and we, we want to cry. We want to be expressive. We actually want to be honest with how we feel. And this is the idea of the Psalms. Sometimes people say to me, how do I grieve? I say, do it well. Don't rush it. Do it well. Here's the third thing. Oh, my. Here's the third thing. So we bottle it up, or we piously deny, or we actually follow the lead of the psalmist. That we take our anger and our doubt and our dismay to God in honesty. Remember, I want you to hear this about a lament. It's not going to someone else first. It's not going to Facebook or social media. It's not going to anybody. It's about going to God straight away first. And it's not really a weepy, I feel sorry for myself cry. It's not like, oh, God, please, I feel so bad for myself. It's like this crucial conversation with God. It's like this deliberate conversation. God, this is how I feel. I don't feel like you're here. I have questions. I have doubts. I have worries. It's just, it's just straight to God. And so we follow the psalmist, and we take those things to God right away. Kathleen O'Connor who's a great theologian. Women, if you, want, if you love theology, do it. We need women theologians who are full of the Spirit and smart and love Jesus and just do it. This is what Kathleen O'Connor says about lament. I want you to catch this. I'll be done soon. Lament 
names what is wrong. Lament names what is out of order in God's world and what keeps human beings from thriving in all of their creative potential. Simple acts of lament expose those conditions, names them. This is what she says. And that resistance may finally prepare the way of healing in the soul. You know, sometimes I believe this, is that when we lament, it is not weakness, it's actually strength. You actually have a relationship with God. And you're like, God, I don't get you right now. I don't understand you. I don't know what you're doing. I don't think it's weakness. I think it's actually strength. When I hear people in my office, married couples, that, that say that they never fight, I'm like, okay, you are weird. There's something wrong with you. Because I think a good marriage readjustment session of having an argument, you know what it says to me? Is that you actually care about relationship. We're going to work this through. We're going to talk this out. I'm not going to ignore it. I want to have relationship with you. On a staff team or where, wherever I've pastored, we've tried to work this principle that we're going to get it out. If we're in a meeting, it's going to be spicy, as Mel would say. We're going to talk this through. We're going to be honest because you know what? We don't want any um, dishonesty or disruption to be taken to anybody else but the people in this room. Listen, when we are honest with, with God, it's because you actually want relationship with him. My wife, Shelly, uh, we're going to come to the arts night. I'm looking forward to it because I don't have any church on that Wednesday. It's going to be pumped in. Maybe you can meet her. But uh, early in our marriage, Shelly went through a very traumatic encounter. And Shelly carries something called fibromyalgia syndrome in her body. And maybe I've shared this before, but I'm going to share this as quickly as I can. She has fibromyalgia syndrome. And it's like if you go for a jog, like Gavin jogs every day. He's a, he's a buff dude twice a day. You know, that feeling that, you know that feeling you have in your legs the next day when you've worked out? My wife has that through her whole body all the time. And some things help. Less stress, good food. Less stress is hard when she's married to me. But less stress and good food. And, and, and she walks two or three times a day. When my wife is in Phoenix or San Diego... Her pain is like a minimum, like it's maybe one. But when she lives here in this environment and culture, her pain is maybe a five or six on the average every day. We're called to Canada. I don't want to live in Phoenix. Sorry for the Americans in the room. But I remember going to Guatemala on a missions trip. And I remember this very clear. I remember in the small church, maybe it was like maybe five or six rows of this church, and we, we, we opened up the altars for prayer after, and this, this lady comes up for prayer, and on her right foot, she's got this, like, goiter. It's like a chunk of flesh on her leg. And so she's, she's asking if we would pray for healing on her foot. And I remember this as clear as it is right now. I remember putting my hand on her foot and just saying some simple prayer, and I was tired, and, you know, Guatemala, I'm ready to go home, and we pray for her, and I can feel under my hand this thing disappearing as we prayed. And I removed my hand, and it was gone. Then I get on a plane, and I fly home to Calgary. And my wife can't get out of bed because she's got fibromyalgia, and I pray for her every day. Every day. And what do I do? God is good all the time. All the time is good. No, I don't do that. There were times and moments in my relationship with God, that I would sit in my car and I'd say, God, what are you doing? I don't want to do this anymore. I've given my life to you. We've given our lives to you. What is the sense of this? God, I'm so mad at you right now. Who do you think you are? Do something, God. Pretty honest. You know what? Shelly still has fibromyalgia. I still pray for her every day. 
But I believe that when we pray in a lament kind of way, there's something beautiful that takes place. You know, Shelly and I, I love her dearly. I would die for her. She's everything to me. We've learned how to be sensitive to people who are walking through pain. I've learned how to be a better pastor. And, you know, here's the thing about my wife. She has never complained one day. I've never heard her complain. It's always me. It's always, it's the little, little boy girl over here that complains all the time. And she's never complained. And I believe this is that when we spend time to stop and lament, God does something powerful in our lives. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? It's lunchtime. This is what we do. Students, I I encourage you, please, please, acknowledge the existence of your sadness and your loss and your grief and your emotion and your frustration. And don't go to somebody first. And don't go to stupid social media. And don't post it on Facebook. Go straight to Jesus. Go straight to God and say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. What are you doing? I need you. Come, God. Help me. You know what he's going to do? He comes. I need to ask you this. Students, what do you need to lament? What do you need to lament? What have you skipped over? What have you maybe just by some kind of weird theological thinking that you need to go from victory to victory, stop it. Pause and say, God, I want to be honest with you. I need to be honest with you. And healing's going to come. I wish we had enough time this morning. I would ask that you would just stay and sit in your seats and ponder and ask the Holy Spirit what you actually need to lament and spend some time talking to him. But would you do this for me? Sometime in this week, would you pause and ask him what you need to lament over? I think Sunday nights as I pastor Recovery Church, addiction, pain, issues, comes because we try to take it out in other ways instead of just taking it straight to the throne of God. I really would have loved to tell you a story about when Shelley and I went to London and we met a concierge there who actually gave us an opportunity to meet royalty. That would, have been a, that would have been a good story. The alarm went off and I slept in. And I missed meeting some prince, crusty, salty old prince. But Go to the king. Go to Jesus. Because he's true and he's good. Is God good all the time? Doesn't feel like it, but he really is good all the time. And you'll look back at your life of instances and moments where there's pain, and you'll say, God is good. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each student in this room. And we believe wholeheartedly about them, that they're going to make a difference in churches, in not-for-profit organizations, on the mission field around this world because they have a healthy spirituality, because they love you, because they're, they're crying out for the Spirit, and because they learn how to address their emotions and hurt and pain and suffering and loss directly to you. 
Father, we just want to say thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for the beauty of your word. Thank you for the Psalms of lament. We pray this in your name.